to another edition of the Slasher Sanitarium. We are talking about from Season 2, Episode 2. This one entitled The Kindness of Strangers. It is the episode I have been waiting for since the finale of last season when that bus pulled up. It is the first night for the bus passengers. And maybe it's because I like gruesome horror, but I am ready to see some people eat it. It's about to be nightfall. Which means that Bakta is about to hear all the people she just sentenced to death. Boyd asks where the fuck they are, and the old man says they had a deal. Boyd agreed to kill him. Uh, he agreed to help you. You didn't give him the, specif- the specifics on it. Boyd sees another weathered corpse chained to another part of the wall, and then he looks and finds a skeleton on the other wall. So he is clearly in, I guess, a torture chamber or more of a dungeon. The old man asks if Boyd is from the town. He says he always thought the town was the worst part, but then he went through the tree. He asks if Boyd went through the tree as well, because sometimes you get stuck, and sometimes you get trapped, and that is when they get you. So I suppose that this man also wound up in the well, but either the creatures or whatever else is in this area grabbed him out of there and chained him up on the wall? Which, to what end? Why why keep him captive? Are they expecting people to come and try to find him? I don't know. Boyd asks who the man... Uh, Boyd asks who, but the man says that Boyd has a kind face. The man says his name is Martin. Boyd tries to figure out how to get him free, and Martin says Boyd has to leave before they get back. Again, he's being very cryptic with the they, and the sometimes they get you, that kind of thing. Boyd looks at the man's arm, and he sees a marine tattoo. Here's something to note, though. Martin has a Marine Corps logo on his arm, but not the current one. His tattoo is actually of the pre-1850 logo, where there is no globe on it. If you take this info and match it up with Martin not knowing if Boyd is holding a gun, which could also be because he did say his eyesight is bad, and he's obviously been in a dimly lit dungeon for a while, it might make you think that Martin is not from this time period. If Boyd traveled through time back to 1850, it does kind of make sense, because it's possible that whatever Martin keeps talking about, maybe they're more in hiding now than they were before. Also, the guns from that time period are, you know, revolvers or rifles and wouldn't look anything like a standard police-issue gun. So, there's that too. So we have a strong chance that Boyd is currently not in our time period. Martin tells him Semper Fi, and Boyd says, you know what, no man left behind. Martin again asks for Boyd to kill him. 
Donna cocks her shotgun and tells everyone they are staying there. Bacta says that she hasn't done anything that she'll regret yet, and she has to be set free. Donna tells her that she has no idea what is out there. In the diner, we have Bacta, Randall, Fanny Pack, a lady wearing a scarf, dude in a black hat, and a handful of other bus survivors. Donna says that they are safe in here. She says that they should start with the tree they saw on the road. And Bacta questions this, and Donna says, everybody sees a tree. Tabitha and Victor are in the woods, and they hear the creatures scream. Victor shows her a semi-trailer that has a logo for canned peaches on the side of it. They enter the trailer, and Victor says that there is no talisman in here, so they have to be quiet. Tabitha asks whose stuff this is, and it is apparently Victor's. He says that he comes out here sometimes. They hear another scream from outside. So Victor's got a little secondary home, I guess? Which he... From the looks of it, like, it looks a lot like his room. But, like, he's got, like, these things kind of squirreled away, so I don't know if this is... If he gets caught up in the woods for too late, or, you know, most of the time, nobody knows where he is. And they also don't really seem to care where he goes, so... It makes sense, obviously, that he can't steal a talisman and put it up. But you would think somebody else would be like, Victor keeps going out to that, like, truck. And But I guess if nobody sees him, then nobody sees him. Chrissy walks up to Mary and tells her that they were supposed to have lunch. Mary was on the way to meet her, and she never showed. It has been six months. Mary says that she went to the police. And Chrissy says that Mary doesn't understand. To Mary, it was a two-hour drive before they reached the town. She thinks that Christy has joined a cult. I mean, the gun-toting lunatic would probably be a, a pretty good sign that it's a cult, but, you know, we know it's not. Mary, er, Mary tries to leave, and Christy stops her. She says that she knows Mary's hurt, but she needs her to listen to her. This place isn't what she thinks it is. Tom asks how Jim is doing. And he asks if Tom ever spent the night hiding, but he has not. Brick wakes up and starts to freak out. Tom tells him to calm down. He puts his hand on Brick's foot, and he says, Brick says he can't breathe. Jim says, you clearly can, because you're talking. Brick says he's not good in tight spaces, and Tom tells him they need to be as quiet as possible. Back in the dungeon, Boyd searches for, around for a rock to break Martin's chains. He says he will carry Martin if he has to, and they have a doctor back in town. Boyd shows him the talisman, and Martin tells him the things that come out of the forest at night are just the tip of the spear. If you're not aware of the tip of the spear thing, it's a military thing, but it is essentially like this is the f- the he's saying that the creatures are the first line of defense or first line of offense in this case and everything else after it is worse martin says he is from a small town called millbrook we then hear a music box start playing martin says there is darkness in the forest and it's filled with things we were never meant to see boyd has to get out before the music stops he finds a music box and it has a ballerina figure that is missing a leg also as it's playing the figure's turning backwards. Julie looks outside, but Kenya tells her not to. 
the more she looks at the house, the more attention she draws to it. He has her sit down in the booth with him. Kenya says the gym's best chance of survival is to hide. He offers her some tea, but she doesn't say anything. He then asks her what her favorite book is. She thinks Kenny is just trying to distract her, and he says, well, you know, you still have to answer the question. Fanny Pack then hands Donna some tea and says she guesses life is not a surprises. Randall, a guy in a white shirt, and a dude in a black hat are all talking in a booth, and they seem to be making a plan. We then see two of our other bus survivors. I'll call them that right now, because it ain't going to last. Brian and Kelly, and they enter the bar. They actually made it to a safe spot, considering that there is a talisman there. We then see, outside of the police station, a black man and his white lady are still outside, and they're kind of hiding, hiding by a broken-down vehicle. And we saw them. These were the two people that were the first to run once Donna pulled out a shotgun. Alice tries to pull Fatima back inside, and then we see two creatures around the corner. The creatures are a man in a cowboy hat and a woman in... Just kind of normal dress. Fatima gets pulled inside, and as soon as they close the door, the cowboy says, with a slight western accent, that they are spoiling all the fun. Fatima looks outside and sees the waitress and the cheerleader walk up to the couple. They proceed to shake hands with them, which is kind of cruel, and then they kill him. Fatima starts to freak out and says they can bring them inside. Ella stops her as the screams of the couple outside are heard. She then pulls back the curtain and throws up the double bird to Cowboy and his lady friend. The cowboy says, you'll feel better if you come outside. Fatima breaks down crying and Alice tries to comfort her. This appears to be Fatima's breaking point. More screams can be heard, which causes Brick to start freaking out again. Jim tells him that he needs to shut the fuck up. Brick then starts coughing up blood. He keeps screaming that he is bleeding from his fucking mouth. I mean, if I started coughing up blood, I'd probably be a little freaked out too. Randall gets up and he wants to get out. He says that there are more people outside and they need to save them. Randall's got a a bit of a streak to him where he really doesn't want people to get hurt, but he also has no problem kind of being the one inflicting it. It's admirable at least that he's like look uh, i don't know those people but i can hear them screaming and we need to go out there and help them he grabs kenny's gun and then points it at his head donna and matthias both then aim shotguns at him randall says he's going to take a little walk outside and donna says if they open the door everyone here is at risk randall thinks that the townsfolk put the tree in the road and donna says that everyone is scared And Reynolds says that he can't see anything, so he doesn't believe it's really happening outside. He tells Donna to put the guns down, or he will spray Kenny's brains on the wall. Donna then calls his bluff and says, Well, Randall, you're going to have to shoot Kenny, and then when you do, I'm going to shoot you in the head. One of the creatures then knocks at the door, which allows Kenny to grab his gun back and hit Randall in the face. Boyd continues to try to free Martin, when he asks Boyd if he ever wonders if Abby was right. Was it all just a dream? Now that's very interesting. Obviously, as best we can tell, Martin and Abby have never met. But, if Martin is much like Sarah, 
then he would know certain things that he shouldn't know. Now, if the you still go with the fact that this is traveling through time and way in the past, it seems odd that somebody who died in modern times, their voice would carry to the past, but it's not out of the realm of possibility, that's for sure. Boyd manages to get one of his shackles off, and then Martin doubles over in pain. Boyd grabs him and sees that just like Sarah, Martin has worms under his skin. The music box stops, and Martin says they're out of time. He uses the shackle to cut Boyd's arm, then puts his bloody wrist to Boyd's cut and says, My blood is your blood now. Well, now he definitely has AIDS. Martin then collapses dead. Boyd grabs a torch, and he walks at the door. And as soon as he walks to the door, he's now standing in the ruins of the dungeon he was just in. Now, he still has a torch in his hand, but the door is gone, as are, of course, Martin and the other bodies. And, again, if you go with that theory that they were pre-1850, Boyd walking through the door has brought him back to the present, and the present has the chamber that they were in and the well destroyed and in ruins. If you just go with he was somewhere else in modern times and then went through a door and moved to another place that in modern times, sure, that's a possibility. Can you also say that the whole thing wasn't real and Boyd has been standing there the entire time? Sure, but then you question where the torch came from. I suppose it's possible he that was just sitting out there on the wall. And he grabbed it, but I tend to go more with him time-traveling than with it being a case of all in his mind, because there's a lot going on. But I get it. There's there's obviously evidence for both. You've got him imagining Ellis talking to him. You've got a chained-up man being able to throw a rope to him. Like, there's a lot for both, so... Hopefully we'll get some answers eventually on if that happened or not, or who Martin is, but as of right now, nothing. A dog barks and Boyd sees it and has it come over to him. The dog smells him and then runs off. Kenny puts on another kettle of water for some more tea when Mary walks past him. Kenny tells her he is making some tea, and then she just leaves. Christy walks over and asks what he's doing. And Kenny says that Tian always says that food cures all, but he isn't about to whip out a cheese platter, so this is the best he can do. She asks if Kenny is doing okay, but Kenny says it's a hard question to answer. Christy says the same. Kenny tells Christy to get back out there as Mary will need her. Brian and Kelly then hear more creature screams. Kelly says maybe it's animals, and Brian's like, it's not animals. And then he snaps at her and says, Look, I grew up on a farm. I know it's not. Kelly says, Maybe it's a prank? The creature knocks at the door and asks for help. They say that they were on a bus and they don't want to die out there. So Brian goes over and he opens the door. Well, that's the last we're going to see of them two. Smiley takes a walk and he finds the bus. He walks into it and caresses the seat. He then touches the steering wheel before sitting down to play pretend bus driver. So we've seen this one do this before. He has a touchy-feely kind of thing. When they attacked Colony House, he ran his finger through, fingers through the plant. He turns on the lights on the bus, 
and we see somebody hide behind the seat. So then, when Smiley gets up, he proceeds to put his big creepy smile on again, which he was only kind of just smirking before. An older couple are hiding away on the bus. She says, thank God, we heard the screaming, and he responds, we picked a bad spot. He then shows his true face and kills them both. Boyd runs after the dog. Now, close captioning would tell you that he yells out the name Gus. He doesn't know the dog. As far as I know, nobody has said he had a dog named Gus. If you listen, it's possible he yells out guys, but there's only one dog, so that doesn't make a lot of sense. But if you go with the fact that anybody who has the worms seems to have a lot more information than they should, it's possible that he now just knows the name of one of the dogs. He asks the dog to slow down, and then we see that the milkman is back, so Boyd puts out his torch. His vision then becomes blurred as more creatures walk past him. And obviously, if Martin has infected him, and he said his vision wasn't great anymore, then this would confirm that that's a symptom of the worms. Tabitha asks Victor about the boy who told him about the tunnels. Victor says it's his friend, who he hasn't seen for a while. Tabitha asks how long Victor has been here, and he says it's been a while. She then asks how he got there, and takes a shot, because Victor says, I don't want to talk about him. He then finds a box of cookies in his stash. And they don't seem to be all that fresh, but they're there. He offers them to Tabitha, but she doesn't take them at first. And he says, if you don't want them, that's fine. And she's like, no, no, I like chocolate. Victor says he used to have more snacks, but not as many people have come by lately. Tabitha asks if this is where he got all this stuff from, and Victor says that, yeah, some of it I got from that, but some of it was from before I got here, and some of it belonged to my mother. So we actually do get a pretty big piece of information. The scene that we saw before of Victor surviving the town massacre wasn't the first time the creatures attacked, because he says that there was items there before he got there. So that would seem to indicate that what we had seen with him surviving was just him surviving a night. Whether it was his first night, or if it was just a normal night, and or just a really bad one. Either way, it lends you to realize that Victor probably wasn't an original member of the town. Victor does say that his mom was nice. He says he thinks he has some pretzels because the cookies are stale. As he gets up, someone opens up the trailer door, and we see it's Boyd. Victor tells him to get in, and Boyd shows him that he has a talisman. Elgin comes running up to them, screaming for help. Three creatures come behind Elgin, and they tell Elgin to run, and he scampers into the trailer. They close the door and put up the talisman. Boyd points his gun at Elgin and asks who he is, and Elgin says he was on the bus. Boyd then asks, What fucking bus? It's perfect that Elgin finds the three people in town who have zero clue that a bus has arrived in town. Tom talks to Brick again to try to keep him calm. Jim asks if Brick likes pancakes and says when the sun comes up, he can have the best damn pancakes he has ever had. Tom says that that skinny boy has never had pancakes in his life. Brick then starts to cry out in pain and then coughs up more blood. 
He then straight up chokes on his own blood and dies. Tom says that Brick is dead, and he turns, and he sees a creature in a dress standing above him. The creature leaps down and proceeds to kill Tom. Ugh. Tom was one of the characters I enjoyed. I liked him a lot. And it sort of annoys me that just because he was trying so hard to help, he winds up dying. Which, you know, is a fitting end for him, considering. But I like the sort of wisecracking that he would do. I liked his character. I liked a lot of things that he represented. And it, uh, it sucks that we're not going to get him anymore. Everyone in the diner hear Tom getting killed, and Julie tries to run outside to help Jim. But Donna stops her and comforts her. Fanny Pack then also comes by to comfort her. Mary hugs Christy, now believing that something is happening, because that's one of the townspeople, and uh, she's having a rough time. Donna stares at Randall, who seems to regret his actions. Boyd claims his ruined as Victor draws a picture. He tells Boyd that he doesn't trust Elgin, which is troubling, because I know Victor is probably not the most open and most trust trusting of people, but the fact that he instantly doesn't like this guy for no reason, maybe, yeah, maybe something's there. Boyd says they are still alive, and Victor says, for now. Boyd asks how Tabitha is holding up, and he says that he has passed his truck a thousand times and never realized that it had all the stuff in there. Victor says that he thought Boyd was on a journey. He asks if Boyd found what he was looking for, and Boyd asks what Victor is drawing. Victor shows him a picture of Slappy the Dummy, and says it's good to draw what you see, so that even if you forget, you still have something that remembers it. He thought that all of his pictures were dreams, but the pictures remembered. He then puts his new drawing up on the wall, and they can see that the sun is coming up as Elgin wakes up. So now we have a bit more of the reason why Victor draws so much. Because he has a very hard time differentiating between reality and fantasy. In so much as when he draws, he can look at them and go, okay, that is a, a thing that I experienced. And even when he's been doing that, he still had a feeling that some of them were dreams. So now that he's starting to see more and more and starting to remember a little bit more, it feels like he's going to be able to look through his pictures and go, okay, all of these things happened. And obviously we know that he has drawn some things that he shouldn't know about and does anyways. The jukebox in the diner starts playing Who If By Fire and the sun has finally come up. So Who If By Fire is a Hebrew prayer about God deciding who will live and who will die in the coming year, which is very eerie and again just sort of leads to the creepiness of the town and is there somebody who is deciding which of these people are going to survive and which of these people are going to die? I don't know. Julie opens a window to see that it's late outside and she rushes out. They find Tom's body outside, torn apart. Julie yells for Jim, and they all wait for a response. Under all the wreckage, Jim wakes up and calls out to Julie. Donna says he's alive and asks everyone to help dig Jim out. Bakta walks away, and she goes back to the bus, and she finds the couple dead and realizes that she may have made a big fucking mistake. 
Boyd opens up the trailer, and they all hop out. Boyd asks how many people were on the bus, and Eldon says, maybe 25? He then explains that the lady with the gun was trying to get people to stay in the diner, but once the house collapsed, everything broke down. Tabitha asks which house it was, and Elgin says, well, the one right next to the diner. And Tabitha realizes what's going on, and she runs back to town. Boyd then takes a look and sees that he now has worms under his skin. Victor seems to notice this as well. Now, there is a question of, does Victor also have worms? Because he always wears long sleeves, and he doesn't look scared that Boyd has them, more just concerned. So that's it for this episode. Seven confirmed deaths and two more probable ones. Not counting anyone else that may have been outside that we didn't see. I do like this idea that there I now have essentially like an evolved human form of people with worms, which sounds weird, but you've got Sarah, you've got Boyd. They seem to know more that they than they have been. They can Sarah can hear things. And then we have Elgin and Ethan who don't have worms, but seem to know more than they, they should know. And obviously Ethan being able to see the boy in white. So Victor being able to see the boy in white could just be that he is also clairvoyant or has some kind of psychic ability. But again, it could also be that at some point in time he's been infected. I don't know. We'll see. But that's it for episode two of this season. Another great one. And uh, I know that people were probably expecting there to be a little bit more carnage, but the show's never really shown people getting killed. So I was shown the aftermath. You know, even when they uh, tore the dude apart in the box. Like, we saw them break into the box, but then we didn't actually see it happen. So... The like the makeup effects of just like the dead bodies has always been very interesting, and that part of it is gory. But yeah, we don't really see how they do what they do. But uh, they definitely did their thing this episode. So thank you for listening, and I will be back again with episode three very soon. So until next time, bye bye.